here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Well, ladies and gentlemen, also predictable, Amoroso, the dragging down of public discourse, the phony issues. My question for the media generally, are, are you happy with uh, yourselves? Are you happy with what you're doing to this society? The Amorosa media, the Stormy Daniels media. Here's the thing. None of these people on TV, on CNN or MSNBC or writing at the Washington Post or Washington Times and on and on and on, meet the press, None of them witnessed anything. These so-called reporters haven't witnessed anything. But they want to believe Amoroso. So they bring her on TV or they debate her words and then in some cases pretend they should be dismissed, but in other cases promote them. The president reacts and, of course, they call him a racist. Now, there are some people out there They're really quite remarkable. They don't think the president should react. They don't think the president should defend himself as a man, as a father, as a husband, and of course as a public figure. They think he should just accept it all because it's unpresidential to defend yourself. Just because Amoroso, whose career you made for 15 years and brought into the White House and so forth, just because you did all those things, you shouldn't be out there denying that you used the N-word, she says you did, you must have. Or that you were eating a piece of paper, or that you're mentally unfit to be president, this woman who you brought into your confidence, you're just supposed to sit there. Now that's not normal human behavior. Isn't that why we detest politicians? Because you know when the door's closed, they are furious. But Trump keeps the door open, and he lets you know he's furious. And uses modern social media communications methods to tell the whole nation. And this woman was taping the president, taping other people at the White House, which is unethical, which is sleazy. And somehow the president, president should know better than to hire somebody like that. President should know better than this. The president should know better than that. President can expect some loyalty. He can expect people who use common sense. He can expect people who are going to be decent in what they do. President didn't do anything. The book came out. A publisher wanted to make money, Simon and Schuster, from this book. This book has multiple lies in it, according to a number of people, many of whom don't even like the president who said they never said these things, they never did these things. Amarosa is known to be unreliable, as best as I can put it, and yet here we are with the media. The media debating it, the media discussing it, she's on CBS this morning, she's on the Today Show, she's on Meet the Press, 
And the media wonder why so many of us don't take them seriously. Now, I've talked about this before, but I think we got to go back. We need to have a debate in this country about the media, not freedom of the press. This isn't about freedom of the press. You know, I was thinking about this. The Washington Post Corporation is owned by Jeff Bezos, who's worth, what, $80 billion? Is somebody threatening the Washington Post? The New York Times, I don't know if they're still owned by, uh, in part by the Mexican billionaire who's worth $45 billion, the telecommunications king or not, but Washington Post, uh, uh, excuse me, the uh, New York Times is not threatened. I guess Comcast still owns NBC and MSNBC. Maybe I'm a little dated in this, but nobody's threatening their existence. Nobody. Michael Bloomberg owns the Bloomberg News Outlet. These are not small operations. These are big operations, and they are owned by multiple billionaires, and they're not going anywhere. Anywhere. You got the... uh, the Newhouse family, billionaires. You've got the Cox family, billionaires. Uh, the Boston Globe. The billionaire Red Sox owner, John, uh, John Henry, bought it, as I recall, in 2013. Uh, U.S. News and World Report, owned by Zuckerman, a billionaire. Now, again, this could be dated. The Barbie family owns the Village Voice. Tribune Publishing, Patrick Soon-Shong. These are all multi, multi, multi millionaire, billionaire types. It was Carlos Slim Hula, as I recall, who owned a a big chunk of the uh, New York Times. Warren Buffett owns a whole bunch of, uh, or did, daily newspapers. You can Google this stuff yourself. I Googled it today. These are major, multinational, many cases, corporations, these newspapers, cable outlets, local stations. You've got to have a lot of money to own these companies. So nobody's threatening freedom of the press in this country. This isn't China. As Thomas Friedman always loved China, it's not China. It's not Russia. It's not Iran. It's not North Korea. Nobody has stopped any of these media outlets from reporting, from speaking, from providing their opinions, none whatsoever. Now, competition has hurt many of them. They've had to figure out how to deal with new technologies, how to deal with the Internet. And, of course, one of the things they support is the nationalization of the Internet, like Many major corporations, they don't believe in capitalism and competition. They would just assume destroy them in order to protect themselves. There really is a feudalistic attitude when it comes to major media in this country. And so you have these so-called reporters and hosts that are on these various media outlets owned by these multi-billionaire and their corporate uh, entities who pretend to represent the people who pretend to to point out the liars from the non-liars, that they're the referees. But that's a lie. They're not the referees. This isn't about freedom of the press. It's about what the press is doing. Not its freedom, but its actions. 
And this is something that we must continue to discuss. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and spend all day on Amoroso. I'll leave that to the other talk show hosts. They're very good at it, I must confess. The press today is not about preserving the press. And the reason we have freedom of the press is, is to ensure the survival of the republic against an overbearing government. But really today, the way these operatives, these, these hosts and these so-called journalists conduct themselves, they're not interested in that. They're interested in what? Promoting their own reality. Promoting their own agenda. And by the way, notice how synthetic it is. Notice how superficial it is. And notice how similar one is to the next. One to the next. Is that freedom of the press? Now I've talked before about these pseudo-events that the media create or the media report on to the exclusion of others. These pseudo-events, like Amorosa's book, is a non-event. It's irrelevant. Now, her taping in secure areas of the White House, that's a serious event, which gets very little attention, 10% of all the discussion. This is a pseudo-event, as Daniel Borston would have put it. A non-event that has become a reality because of the way the media report it and promote it. And then turn it into an anti-Trump meme. That it's Trump's fault that Amarosa is there. That it's Trump's fault that she wrote a book. That it's Trump's fault that we have to debate this. That it's Trump's fault now he's a racist because he called her a dog. It's Trump's fault. And he not only called her a dog, he calls lots of black people dogs. And it's Trump's fault, even though he calls white people dogs too. Still, he's a racist. And here we are. Now, this isn't news. This isn't even the purpose of a free press. This is individuals who have these, these cherished positions, because there are not a lot of anchors on TV. There's not a lot of hosts, relatively speaking. Not a lot of news people on TV, relatively speaking. They use these cherished positions to claim that they are defending freedom of the press and advancing the cause of, of free speech by creating phony issues and phony events and insisting that they're news. More on this when I return. Mark Lovin. movement to a large extent really is dead there's a few here and there but day in and day out even smart conservatives on TV and with microphones and with keyboards live within the world that is created for them I don't mean by the civil society I mean it's created for them they live by television news and radio news and newspaper news every day. And this is how they spend their lives. Regurgitating and then reacting. Now we all do some of that. We must. 
But you got to take it to the next level and question this, as Borston calls, these pseudo-events in America. The Amorosa book is a pseudo-event. The fact that it was published, the publisher makes money, she makes money. There's all kinds of allegations in there. It's now driving the news for 48 hours, 72 hours, 96 hours. But it's not news. It's a created event. It's simply not newsworthy. In the last half century, as Borston says, a larger and larger proportion of our experience, of what we read and see and hear, consists of pseudo-events. And Trump has it right. Fake news. We expect more of them, and we're given more of them. They flood our consciousness. Their multiplication has gone on in the United States at a faster rate than elsewhere. Even the rate of increase is increasing every day. This is true of the world of education, of consumption, of personal relations. It is especially true of the world of public affairs. A full explanation of the origin and rise of pseudo-events would be nothing less than a history of modern America. It's so true. Then came that, uh, the, the news gap, historically speaking, became so narrow that in order to have additional news, quote-unquote, for each new edition or each new broadcast, it was necessary to plan in advance the stages by which any available news would be unveiled. And so it gets worse and worse because of the TV or radio clock, because of the multiplicity of, uh, of newspapers and so forth. Freedom of the press, we are told, is at stake. That was once an institution preserved to the interest of the community. Now it's often a euphemism for the prerogative of the reporters to produce their synthetic commodity. And yet, this is what they wrap themselves in, freedom of the press. Pseudo-events spawn other pseudo-events in geometric progression. We've talked about this. This is partly because every kind of pseudo-event being planned tends to become ritualized with a protocol and a rigidity all its own. As each type of pseudo-event acquires this rigidity, pressures arise to produce other derivative forms of pseudo-event which are more fluid, more tantalizing, more interestingly ambiguous. Thus is the press conference itself a pseudo-event. In other words, the presidential press conference is, is a pseudo-event. Jim Acosta's heir is a drama queen trying to catch the president in some statement, looking for a word here or there, to, and that creates the news. The news creates the news, the unreality. As the press conference itself, a pseudo-event, became formalized, there grew up the institutionalized leak. And as the leak becomes formalized, still other devices will appear. Now, of course, this gets a little bit more complicated, doesn't it? It depends who's leaking. It depends what their agenda is. The recipient of the leak, the so-called reporter, depends what their agenda is or what their focus is. And that becomes news. That's the news. Of course, the shrewd politician or the enterprising newsman knows this and knows how to take advantage of it. Seldom for outright deception, more often simply to make more news, to provide more information, quote unquote, or to improve communication. 
quote unquote. It's always for an altruistic reason, wittingly or unwittingly. Nowadays, the test of a Washington reporter is seldom his skill at precise, dramatic reporting, but more often his adeptness at dark intimidation. If he wishes to keep his news channels open, he must accumulate a vocabulary and develop a style to conceal his sources and obscure the relation of a supposed event or statement to the underlying facts of life, at the same time seeming to offer hard facts. Much of his stock and trade is his own and other people's speculation. Speculation about the reality of what he reports. He lives in a penumbra between fact and fantasy. He helps create that very obscurity without which the supposed illumination of his reports would be unnecessary. A deft administrator these days must have similar skills. He must master the technique of denying the truth without actually lying. Speculation becomes news. Supposition becomes news. Supposedly, it is illumination of the news. It's no such thing. It's a pseudo-event. More when I return. Mark Levin, radio's principal patriot. Call in now at 877-381-3811. So we have these pseudo-events, and they're self-perpetuating. One pile on top of another. There are real things going on in the world. Let me tell you a little story I, I discussed on Levin TV the other day. My wife and I were at a wedding in Chicago. And uh, we had an Uber driver bringing us back to Chicago O'Hare. We stayed at a wonderful old hotel called the Drake Hotel. Uh, we had attended a wonderful wedding. Not ours. We're already married. And the gentleman was an older African-American. And we just got to talking. His father had recently passed away. His father was 95. He was 68. I'm almost 61. He's driving an Uber. And I said, why do you drive an Uber? He said, I retired when I was 65. I worked at a ball bearing factory for, I think he said, 37 years. And I believe the town was Evanston, Illinois, but I could be wrong. Somewhere outside of uh, Chicago, about 30 miles. But he was born in Chicago. His father was born in Chicago. That's where he raised and that's where he was staying. And by the way, Chicago's a beautiful city. They're dangerous parts, I mean, deadly parts, but that's the same with most cities. But it, the center of the city, and I didn't get to see much of it, near the waterfront, absolutely beautiful. And uh, we didn't discuss politics, we discussed life. And we got quite friendly. We were in, stuck in traffic, it took us about an hour to travel, what, I don't know, 10 miles? And he showed me uh, on his iPhone, I believe it was, a video of him and his one-and-a-half-year-old grandson. And he's teaching his one-and-a-half-year-old grandson to read. It's beautiful. And he says to me, you know, there's a real world out here. And he says, and I drive this car, and I've been doing this now three years as an Uber driver. And I meet many, many different types of people. 
all races, religions. And he said, the truth is, most of us get along just great. We get along great. We want the same thing. We want to be happy. We want a good job. We want to put food on the table. We want to take a trip every now and then. We want to have a decent retirement. We don't hate each other. We're not at each other's throats. It's a big country. And the vast majority of us get along just fine. And we want to get along. Do you get the sense, ladies and gentlemen, when you watch television news or these 24-7 cable channels, that that's what they want? That they want us to get along? Do you get the sense that they know what's actually going on out there in the world? Do you know the vast majority of the American people don't give a damn about Amarosa or her book or what's in her book or what anybody has to say about her book? Or Stormy Daniels? Stormy Daniels, think about this. Somebody's daughter who goes into pornography. And she becomes a regular featured news focus. And her lawyer, same thing. Day after day, week after week, month after month. You never heard of her before. Most of us find what she does to be utterly grotesque, that she could well have been a victim and brought into that industry. And the media exploit her. The media are exploiting Amarosa, who obviously is not well, has certain emotional and other types of issues, isn't exactly the greatest truth teller, but the media exploit her. Why? Because they justify to themselves that by pushing Amarosa, pushing what she wrote, pushing Stormy Daniels, pushing whatever they need to push out there in the public square to the exclusion of so much else, that they will advance their ideological agenda. That's not the purpose of a free press. That's not the purpose of a free press. It can occur, obviously, under the First Amendment. You're free to write what you want, you know, unless you violate various defamation laws and so forth. But I'm not talking about that. I'm excluding that. You're fair to say whatever you want, write pretty much whatever you want, right? Freedom of the press has nothing to do with the freedom of an individual to smear somebody. It is a concept that when put into action has as its purpose to sustain and improve the civil society and in our case, the republic. One of the reasons why CNN in particular, Stelter, Tapper and the rest are constantly attacking Fox is because Fox doesn't go along with all the rest. Some individuals on Fox do, and they're specifically called out by the other media and given praise. But because Fox doesn't buckle, 
you can agree with Fox personalities or not. That's not the point. But because Fox is not CNN, Fox is not MSNBC, Fox is not the New York Times, the Washington Post, and so forth, it's an outlier. It is unacceptable to the group think that pervades so-called newsrooms. The mentality, especially since Watergate, especially since Woodward and Bernstein and the Washington Post, is we get to decide what the news is. We here in the newsroom, we get to decide what's newsworthy. We will decide what's newsworthy. And anybody who disagrees with us is to be slammed in one form or another. You can see the Republicans and former Republican consultants, the John McCain or this one and that one, who are now at MSNBC, Nicole Wallace. You can see others, Steve Schmidt. They understand how it's played. You want to be praised. You want to make money through the media and other sources. You got to join the mob. And you know what? It's a lot more fun because you can claim to to support free press and to be on the side of truth and compassion while you're spreading pseudo-events and propaganda. So, let me continue here. At first, it may seem strange, Borston wrote, that the rise of pseudo-events has coincided with the growth of the professional ethic, which obliges newsmen to omit editorializing and personal judgments from their news accounts. But now it is in the making of pseudo-events that newsmen find ample scope for their individuality and creative imagination. And that sums it up, because that is what they claim to be the free press. They claim to be defending the free press, but that's not it at all. They're claiming their own individual and creative imaginations. That's what they're defending. In a democratic society like ours, and more especially in a highly literate, wealthy, competitive, and technologically advanced society, the people can be flooded by pseudo-events. For us, freedom of speech and of the press and of broadcasting includes freedom to create pseudo-events. And you see, folks, that's what they want the freedom to do, create pseudo-events. Not defending freedom of the press. Freedom of the press isn't any any danger in this country. Competing politicians, competing newsmen, and competing news media contest in this creation. They vie with one another in offering attractive, so-called informative accounts and images of the world. They are free to speculate on the facts, to bring new facts into being, to demand answers to their own contrived questions. Our free marketplace of ideas is a place where people are confronted by competing pseudo-events and are allowed to judge among them. When we speak of informing the people, this is what we really mean. This is what we really mean. So the American citizen lives in a world where fantasy is more real than reality. That is, the world of the media where the image has more dignity than its original. Now, as I pointed out a couple of months ago, here are what Borston says are some of the characteristics of pseudo-events which make them overshadow spontaneous events. Pseudo-events are more dramatic. 
A television debate between candidates can be planned to be more suspenseful. For example, by reserving questions which are then popped suddenly. Then a casual encounter or consecutive formal speech is planned by each separately. So when Megyn Kelly, right out of the box, went after Donald Trump with the Rosie O'Donnell question, that was a pseudo-event. That was a, an event intended to create drama. And that's exactly what it did. It was discussed for weeks afterwards and had an incredible impact on future debates and on the Trump candidacy, painting him in a corner. Pseudo-events being planned for dissemination are easier to disseminate and to make vivid. Participants are selected for their newsworthy and dramatic interest. So you see a lot of these people who are on, for instance, CNN or MSNBC, they bring them in because they're provocative, because they're outrageous, because they are, they are radicals, because they will say things that will draw an audience, like a carnival barker or a car accident. Pseudo events can be repeated at will, and thus their impression can be reinforced. You're going through that right now with Amarosa and her book and the claims that Trump's reaction as a result demonstrates that he's racist. So the whole thing is phony from beginning to end. And yet that's exactly where we are. And tell me, how does this help a republic? How does this help a culture? How does this help a society? And that's the point of a free press, you know. Pseudo-events being planned for intelligibility are more intelligible and hence more reassuring. Even if we cannot discuss intelligently the qualifications of the candidates or the complicated issues, we can at least judge the effectiveness of a television performance. How comforting to have some political matter we can grasp. Pseudo-events. Knowledge of pseudo-events, of what has been reported or what has been staged and how, becomes the test of being informed, supposedly. News magazines provide us regularly with quiz questions concerning not what has happened, but concerning names in the news. What has been reported in the news magazine, pseudo-events begin to provide that common discourse, so-called, which come of my old-fashioned friends have hoped to find in the great books. And pseudo-events spawn other pseudo-events in geometric progression. They dominate our consciousness simply because there are more of them, and ever more of them, and a never-ending list of them. Tempted like no generation before to believe that we can fabricate our experience. Listen to this. Tempted like no generation before us to believe we can fabricate our experience. Our news, our celebrities, our adventures, and our art forms. We finally believe we can make the very yardstick by which all these are to be measured. That we can make our very ideals. This is the climax of our extravagant expectations. It is expressed in a universal shift in our American way of speaking. From talk about ideals to talk about images. And the biggest chunk that's missing from this book is this is all the creation of, established by, given birth from, progressivism. 
The very same things Professor Daniel Borston, the late Professor Daniel Borston, writes about in his book, The Image, can be said about academia. Pseudo-history. Pseudo-education. Indoctrination. Unreality. On top of unreality. Because this is what progressivism does. Same thing can be said about how progressives approach governance, economics. Unreality. Pseudo-arguments about economics, about health care, about immigration. Arguments they know to be false. Arguments they know to be wrong, but it's of no consequence. They make them anyway, and they repeat them. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. It's the middle of the night. You're tossing, turning, covered in sweat. You could run the AC or a fan to try and keep cool, or you could get rid of your heat-trapping mattress and finally sleep as cool as the other side of the pillow like I do on a Casper mattress. All Casper mattresses use premium foams that relieve pressure and help align your body so you fall asleep feeling comfortable and wake up feeling refreshed. And thanks to the breathable material, you are guaranteed to sleep cool all summer long. Casper ships for free in a box so small you won't even believe it holds a mattress. And that's so you can try it risk-free for 100 nights. If you don't love yours, they'll come pick it up and refund you everything. Sleep cool and comfortably every night. Get a Casper. Try yours for 100 nights with free shipping and returns. Go to Casper.com and use code MARK for $50 towards the purchase of select mattresses. That's Casper.com, code MARK. Casper.com, terms and conditions apply. You'll notice that most... Other reporters are based in Washington, D.C. or New York, and more, really, in Washington, D.C. than New York. New York is the financial capital of the United States. How much actual financial reporting goes on from the national news? There are some business channels, but, I mean, on the, on the broader channels, very little, very little. And uh, how much reporting is there about Washington? and events going on in Washington. It's nonstop. It's endless. And there's two reasons for it. First is, Washington now is so ubiquitous, so controlling of our everyday lives, no matter who you are, where you are, or what you do, that it's, that it's central. And secondly... These reporters wouldn't know how to report stories other than about Washington because that's where their sources are. That's where they are physically located. And everybody out there in in the hitherlands, they want to wind up with a network, cable, network, satellite, whatever it is, based in Washington, D.C., where the money is, where the attention is, where the fame is. Does that sound like a real free press to you geographically, ideologically. 
Does that sound like a real free press to you? Doesn't to me. All right, we'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. How many people were murdered today? Do you know? How many men and women do we have serving today in combat zones all over the world? Do you, do you know? What is the actual debt in this country and... How does it threat, threaten our society and what can be done about it? Can our armed forces win a war against China, which is massively muscling up its military and cyber space warfare capabilities? None of this was news today. None of it. None of it. Give an example of the problem here. Michael Eric Dyson is a professor at one of the universities in Washington. Every time I've seen him, now I shut it off. Every time I've seen him on TV, CNN or MSNBC, he's hustling the race issue. He sees racism everywhere. And that's why they bring him on TV. He contributes nothing. He contributes nothing. Zero. To any news. He's a provocateur. He appeals to the Democrat Party base. And so MSNBC and CNN bring him on to be a provocateur. You're not going to learn anything from Michael Eric Dyson. Nothing. Zero. So the president calls Amarosa a dog, among other things. Of course, she said a number of horrible things about him. Now, you see, the president isn't supposed to speak that way. He can speak that way when the door's closed. He can speak that way in describing her to friends and family, but not to the public, you see. He's supposed to just take it. Now, why is that? It's not presidential. Not presidential? He's defending his own integrity and character. He's defending his family. Not presidential? Do people know the history of this country and what presidents have said in the past? Do they have any idea? Apparently not. But you may not like what he said. That's fine. And the reason, in many respects, people may not like what he said is not so much because it's not presidential, because they know he will be attacked. Right, Mr. Producer? They know he will be attacked by whom? By the media. The media that has already created this pseudo-event with Amarosa and her book. That's why they advise him, don't, don't do that. It's not presidential. But what we really mean is, 
now you're just going to, it's going to go on for another day or two or three or four. Why? Why? Because of the media. Well, why? Because the media have created a pseudo event that inspires more pseudo events. And so who better to play along than Michael Eric Dyson and a whole gaggle of guests like him? Now, here's what he said on CNN today. Totally predictable, which is exactly why CNN brought him on. Cut four, go. The problem is, of course, is that she's giving him a taste of his own medicine, a dose of what he's done. But beyond that, it still doesn't legitimate or justify the kind of vicious animus he's expressed toward people of color. And in particular, dog, mongrel. Look at all the KKK language that was used. He's evoking an entire history of assault against black people with dehumanizing languages. So he might say that about other people as well. But when he applies it to Omarosa and then he applies it to LeBron James and he applies it to Don Lemon, he's doing something very specific. And we need white brothers and sisters and non-black people who are allies to call them on this. Don't just have the complicity of silence or, oh, my God, and wring our hands. This is an assault, the likes of which we haven't seen from the presidency in so many decades. Oh, B.S. You're so full of crap. You know, it'd be one thing if the president said this out of the blue, out of left field. But he's directing it at her. Not because she's black, but because of what she's done. And this is part of the problem. To bring a guy like this on TV who spews this. He's a walking pseudo-event. He is a walking pseudo-event. When's the last time CNN brought Shelby Steele on the program? I don't mean to have 20 people yell at him and drown out what he's trying to say. They have no interest in talking to that man. When's the last time they brought Thomas Sowell on? They have no interest in talking to that man. Two black men. Or MSNBC, they have no interest in talking to them unless they can use them as foils to viciously assault verbally on their programs to get their base all jacked up. Their base being the progressive Democrat base. Is this a free press in action? Well, they're using the First Amendment and the freedom of the press. But this isn't news. This isn't news to hear this guy and others. It's not news at all. And it's usually the same hosts over and over and over again who do this. Like this uh, this woman, her name is Tur. Is that her name? Tur? Katie Tur. Katie Turr would be nowhere but for MSNBC, which is like the lowest of the low. If you can't get a real TV gig, that's where you'll wind up, CNN or MSNBC. But I'll give you another example, Chris Cuomo. In what respect is Chris Cuomo a journalist? In any respect at all? Why was he hired? Because of his outstanding journalism? No, because of his name. Has he done anything that's particularly profound or even professional? No. So he's going to describe for you and me last night on CNN the difference between these white supremacists, all 20 of them, and Antifa. And how the violence is different depending on your ideology. Cut eight, go. Peppered in the crowd were members of Antifa, or anti-fascists. They covered their faces, confronted police, and berated journalists. And that was... No, they did more than berate journalists. They actually attacked the cops and attacked a journalist 
at NBC. And in the past, they've hurt people, really hurt people, have assaulted people. But look, look at how he dishonestly defines them. Is he a journalist? Go ahead. Now, you've been hearing it. There's a lot of whataboutism and spin going on, and it's kind of sickening to me. So let's Whataboutism all... is a way to dismiss context, experience, and history by people who think the world began today. That's not whataboutism. That's called rational thinking. Go ahead. Common understandings. A protester uses their voice. Song, slang, slurs, there's a huge range, but it is talk. When you use your hands in a violent way, you are a rioter. And unless you're justified in defending yourself and you hit someone, you're a thug, you're a criminal. You attack cops, you slap the media, you're in the wrong, period. But Okay, so who did that? Who did that? Why did you not connect what you just said to Antifa in this particular event. Why would you do that? Go ahead. All punches are not equal morally. In the eyes of the law, yes. Now, actually, in the eyes of the law, this guy's a lawyer. No. Self-defense, a punch is legal. Self-defense, a punch is legal. You're trying to assault somebody to steal something from them. A punch is not legal. So he's a moron on multiple levels. But here he's pretending to be not only a journalist, but a philosopher. Go ahead. The eyes of good and evil. Here's the argument. If you're a punk who comes to start trouble in a mask and hurt people, you're not about any virtuous cause. You're just somebody who's going to be held to the standard of doing something wrong. But when someone comes to call out bigots and it gets hot, even physical, are they equally wrong as the... No, that's not what happened here, Cuomo. Antifa comes to a place to be violent. There's been undercover video of them training to be violent, to provoke a conflict. We've all seen it on TV. It's on the Internet. He's now excusing Antifa by the way... He is manipulating the facts, using his rhetoric, and spreading propaganda. You will never hear me make any excuses for the Klan or the neo-Nazis, many of whom, Mr. Producer will tell you, have threatened my life and have put stuff on websites that are absolutely disgusting. But I don't come here behind the microphone and whine about it every day. Now and then I alert you to it, but that's the way it is when you're a public figure. That said, you will never hear me defend them in any respect. Nor will I defend Marxists who pretend to be civil rights activists who go to events for the purpose of brutalizing other human beings. But you're now listening to Chris Cuomo doing exactly that. Exactly that. Go ahead. For fighting, I argue no. Fighting against hate matters. Now, how you fight matters too. There's no question about that. But drawing a moral equivalency between those espousing hate and those fighting it because they both resort to violence. But 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 the Antifa is not fighting hate. Marxists aren't fighting hate. 
Marxists are responsible for all kinds of genocide, suffering, uh, destitution. Just because you have an affinity towards Marxism or leftism or progressivism doesn't excuse any of this, Mr. Cuomo. None of it. And the nomenclature you're trying to give this, the label you're trying to assign to this, is appalling. It's unconscionable. Go ahead. Emboldens hate, legitimizes hateful belief, and elevates what should be stamped out. Mm-hmm. That's Chris Cuomo. But he wasn't done. Cut nine, go. He needed to call out the bigots and the white supremacists. And he didn't. Why? So now it's on the president. Again. Charlottesville last year is on the president. Why? We all know what he was saying. We all know what he meant. Haters on both sides. Violence on both sides. Is that false? Is it false? No, it's not false. All kinds of nuts pushing all kinds of causes. The radicals, the extremists among us. You see, here's the difference. Antifa is a communist movement. The Klan is a fascist movement. You and I are constitutional conservatives. We have nothing to do with them, and we want nothing to do with them. We make excuses for none of them. We don't draw moral comparisons. It's irrelevant. But Chris Cuomo identifies with Antifa. Oh, he'll use the word but, and there are exceptions and that sort of thing. He identifies with them. We identify with none of them. Because we, you and I, are the moderating forces in this country. Because we embrace our declaration and those principles. We embrace our constitution and the limits on government. We embrace equal justice. Equal justice, not equal outcomes. We believe in God-given natural law. Unalienable rights for all human beings. We don't identify with any of the kooks. But he does. Listen to him. Go ahead. He therefore have unprecedented support from these fringe elements of white power. Two wrongs and what is right. The bigots are wrong to hit. Antifa or whomever, anarchist or malcontent or misguided, they are also wrong to hit. But fighting hate Uh is right. He always uses the word but. But. Fighting hate is always right. Fighting hate is always right. This is very interesting to me. So if people hate you, that's enough? To physically attack them? No, no, no. You hear his incoherence? He really hasn't laid out guidelines. He really hasn't laid out guidelines of any time. time. Listen to his ambiguity. His ambiguity in defining Antifa and the left, that is violent. And what he doesn't play and what he doesn't tell you is that one of the events on Sunday, the president's life was threatened repeatedly by people marching with Antifa. 
There were 20, maybe 25, maybe 30 based on reports, I wasn't there, of these white supremacist slimeballs. But there were hundreds and hundreds of the Antifa who were threatening, many of them were threatening the president's life. Is that okay, Chris Cuomo? You see, we're not going to listen to him anymore. I've played enough. You get the gist. When you listen to him making excuses for violence, trying to create a philosophy around it, and he fails miserably. There are reasons for violence, and we'll discuss that one day. But you shouldn't be loose with the terms and loose with the logic, which is illogic. When you hear him, when you hear this guy, this professor, Michael Eric Dyson, when you hear people like this, when you hear day in and day out that Trump is Hitler, Trump used Stalinist tactics, Trump is a threat to our Constitution, Trump is mentally ill, Trump is a racist, you're encouraging the lunatics out there to not just say things that is threaten the president, But you may be encouraging one of them to try and harm the president. And the media take no responsibility for what they're doing. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Very short segment as we uh, did a very robust segment beforehand. And uh, I hope you've been listening to the last 90 minutes or so. Get a real sense, in my view, for actual reality. Not that you have to agree with my political opinions, but I'm trying to analyze what comes through the tube, what comes through the radio, what comes through your computer, what you've been reading, what you're looking at. And so much of it is phony. The president really has hit on something here. Intentionally or otherwise. Fake news. This is why the media are so upset with him. Number one, he got elected. Number two, he's quite effective. And number three, he's exposed them. It is fake news. These are, in many respects, pseudo-events. They are distractions. They are an unreality. I'll be right back. Fin Show, where we create the talking points. Call in now, 877-381-3811. So here we go again. This time, this is incredible. Turns out that an identity protection company, I'm sure you've heard of it, hasn't been so careful in protecting the email addresses of their own customers. And many were actually compromised. So listen to this. The only identity company that I trust to protect me and my family is my ID care. That is why they are our new identity protection sponsor. You need to take this stuff seriously. You have credit cards. You do online backing. Even use email. You're vulnerable. I don't worry because I switched my identity protection to the guys who've been protecting Fortune 500 companies for years. My ID care. You can get their stellar protection, too, 
at myidcare.com slash mark. You'll also get 15% off. Just enter promo code mark. So that's myidcare.com slash mark. Enter promo code mark. Now, I'm proud to partner with My ID Care. They take great care of their customers, that is you, and all of our data. And they cover us for the nine types of identity theft. For less than 10 bucks a month, My ID Care can even help if you're already a victim. Learn more, and then let My ID Care take care of you. MyIDCare.com slash Mark, enter promo code Mark one more time. That's MyIDCare.com, promo code Mark, for 15% off. I strongly encourage you to get it right away. All right. I've been talking for 90 minutes off and on. Let's go to you. Let us go to Caleb, Duluth, Minnesota, on the great WDSM. Go. Hey, Mark. It's uh, Caleb. Uh, wanted to tell you I really appreciate listening to your show over the past couple years. I'm a military veteran. I've been in nine years, so uh, there's been a lot of lonely nights. We, we salute you, my friend. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. I salute you, too. Uh, you, you keep us informed, uh, and you spread the truth, unlike... Uh, unlike those that uh, don't tell the truth. This uh, Omarosa case, I think we all know um, spreading of lies needs to stop. Uh, we can start with something as simple as uh, the Trayvon Martin case. We can go to Michael Brown. We can go to Freddie Gray. Uh, we can go to the recent case that just happened down the, down the road here in uh, Minneapolis with Marvin Blevins. And I think the key thing to take note with this is the fact that people – that are doing wrong and that are breaking laws, local laws, be it constitutional law, state law, or even uh, municipal law, like city law, these individuals don't want to take the blame for their own actions. But let, let's talk about this Amorosa thing ever so briefly. Why are they covering it? If somebody gets killed and there's a dispute, that's one thing. The spin they put on it is another thing. The media control what you see and hear from a national uh, level based on what they report and what they don't report. They omit a whole lot of stuff. But notice, they don't omit her. They have a limited hour in an hour news program or a 30-minute news program, even though these are 24-7 networks for the most part. And yet, management, the editors, and the so-called reporters decide this is crucially important. These really aren't news decisions, are they, sir? They're ideological decisions. You're exactly right, Mark, and I'll tell you why they're covering these. is because they have absolutely not another darn thing to cover. Everything they've been spewing since the beginning is lies. The attack on the president is disgraceful, and I'll tell you, as a member of the military, I've been in the reserves now for three years. I have another 11 to go. I'll serve this country proudly, even if it means uh, writing that blank check and ending having to go overseas and get my own life. I say that wholeheartedly, I say that as an American, and I say that because people that are disgraceful, I mean, you have to realize that as, I don't want to call myself an opponent, because we're not, I mean, there's one thing I'll agree with, with President, prior President Obama, we're not Republicans or Democrats, we're Americans, and I think that as, as soon as we get that through our minds. Yeah, but for him, that was, uh, that was not serious. He did more to divide this country, and I believe in many respects... We're still dealing with his presidency uh, and the way uh, he 
conducted public business, and that would be the same with Eric Holder and numerous others. Thank you for your service, my friend. Let us continue. Kate, Manassas, Virginia, the great WMAL. Go. Yes, I believe the media has lost the information war, and they're furious, and they're not going down quietly. And people who are clear thinkers will not dignify their trash with our attention. I think they're just talking to each other now. Because we're no, waking no, up. No, I, I don't think they're just talking to each other. I think there, is, there are a lot of people out there who may not be as engaged as you are or others are. Uh, you watch the media and you watch it to be critical as critical thinkers. But there's a lot of people who watch it and digest it. I think there's more people getting disengaged from the media. Why, why does it matter? In other words, you could be wrong or I could be wrong. Why does that matter? This is a precious uh, uh, ideal that we have in this country, freedom of the press. Isn't it more important that we get it right? Well, they're going down, and they know it, and we know that they can't trust But they're them. not going down. They're not going anywhere. Well, then they'll just revel in their own swill with each other. Because but they won't just revel in their own swill. Their swill pours over into overall society. See, here's the thing, Kate. I think to downplay this and dismiss it and just blow it off is a huge mistake. To well, pretend that they have no influence, pretend they're so small. And they're not. They're getting bigger. And they're getting more aggressive. And in some cases, even violent. It is a well, danger. I, I think all the attention, it feeds the beast. Because we're becoming aware now, you know, the truth, you can't hide it, and you feel it. Because you can't trust what you hear and read, you have to use your gut, and people are starting to feel what's right and wrong, because they know. Yeah, I think some people are, but when 57% of the American people support socialism, you think we're winning? They're just not educated. They don't know. No, 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 ma'am, ma'am, we can't just keep making excuses. We're up against this progressive force that has insinuated itself, as they planned 100 years ago, into academia, into media, into Hollywood, into government. And uh, I don't think it really is going to get us anywhere to pretend that they're shrinking when they're expanding. We may win an election here and there, but they're going to win a lot of elections. In fact, they're even... They're even trying to ensure that they do with our immigration policies. They're even trying to ensure that they do, re rejecting every state effort to clean up their voting lists. And they're trying to ensure that even if they don't, they will have this permanent government. And it's interesting. Everybody calls it the swamp. I've been writing about the administrative state for decades, and it doesn't go away. So you might sleep better at night thinking that they're shrinking, I don't sleep well at night because I know they're not. But, Kate, I want to thank you for your call. Ed, Lee Summit, Missouri. I know who that is, by the way. Uh, KCMO country. How are you? Hey, Mark. Thanks for taking my call. It's a real privilege to get to talk to you tonight. Thank hey, you. I wanted, I wanted to tell you how much I agree with you on two things. Number one, this idea of speculation being used by these so-called experts to try to influence people to take their point of view. And then number two, the conversation you just had with that woman. And I wanted to share something with you that I think is... is By the way, I, was, I hope I wasn't rude. That wasn't my intent. But I think 
when people just kind of blow this, yeah, we're winning, we're winning this, we're winning. No, we're not. We're in a battle. We're in a battle. We're, this is a battle that goes on forever, liberty versus tyranny. We're not winning. As a matter of fact, I think we're losing. We may win an election here and there, but we're going to lose a lot of them. Absolutely. I find you to be instructional. So here's, here's what I wanted to share, because I know you, uh, you study Aristotle. He's, a, he's somebody in history that we can often go to to get some to learn from. And in his essay called On Rhetoric, The Art of Persuading mm-hmm. People to Adopt Your View, he uses three things that are, said are, are, are crucial to getting people to be persuaded on your point of view. Number one is logos, reasoning right. or facts. Pathos, two, pathos and egos. Go ahead. Yep. Yeah, there you go. And what ethos. you find so often in the media is they focus on pathos and ethos, and they don't focus on logos. Explain very briefly what pathos and ethos are. You bet. Pathos comes from the root word pathetic. It has to do with feelings and emotions. So, for example, when the media talks about the ice ripping families apart or tearing children away from their, adult, their families, they're appealing to that emotional swelling you about that must be that's mm-hmm. wrong. Pathos would be when, I'm sorry, ethos would be when somebody who claims to be a so-called expert in a field is brought in the media, and they're not an expert. Mm -hmm. And so everybody thinks they're going to listen to them because what they say must be true. But the fact is, they don't know what you're talking about. And so they're Mm -hmm. speculating, and they're leading people astray. Right. And that's what's happening. And if we're not smart enough out there in the country to discern the difference, have our antennas up, we easily get pulled into the nonsense that's not logos, that's not truth. Brilliant call. And I don't know, I, I want to be uh, optimistic. I want to put a smiley face on everything. I know people do that because it helps their ratings and so forth. I, I, look, I don't know how long I'll be behind this microphone. I really don't. So my attitude is uh, let's not play games. We've got real problems. We've got real successes, too. Let's focus on this and do it wisely and not dismiss the fact that we have a whole army of individuals led by, uh, by these various institutions that have been devoured by the progressive movement. And to say that we're winning, we're winning, we're winning because we won one presidential election is simply false. We're not winning in academia. We're not winning in entertainment and Hollywood on TV and movies for the most part. Conservatives are are under the radar. They have to kind of whisper to each other. We're not winning in the media. I mean, Fox News is an anomaly. Talk radio is an anomaly compared to all the rest that's going on out there. And even politically, we have federal courts, one after another, uh, trying to push back on the president's agenda. And they are acting ultra without authority. And there's a lot of this going on. And not only that, when Trump leaves, it's still all there. He's trying to peel back the these... Uh, these uh, progressive institutions. He's getting pushback from his own party. Uh, and so I, I see a lot of problems here. And the two biggest, I'll share this last thing. The two biggest things for me, when I, I work with teenagers, that I think the biggest things for them to understand truth, one of them, you, you actually did it a few weeks ago on your radio show. We had David Belinsky on, David Belinsky, talking about... No, 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 that was on, he was on my Fox show, but I did play some of his... Uh, some of it on my radio show. Go ahead. That's that's correct. Having him explain why we don't come to Hold on. Having him explain what? Oh, boy. We've lost you, sir. I appreciate your call. 
He, he was an excellent caller. And David Berlinski. Man, I hope you folks are watching this Fox show. I don't know how long I'm going to do it, quite frankly. I told you the other day, something has to give. I'm doing too much. But this is a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant philosopher. And he's an American, but now he's been based in Paris for 20 years. He's quite eccentric. Absolutely brilliant man. And I try and bring these people to you. The, 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 the guest we had last week, same thing. Michael Pillsbury, brilliant man. We're going to have more people like that, as well as people you know. You know who we're having up next, this coming Sunday? It's a big push on Convention of States, Article 5. Mark Meckler and Tom Coburn. Mark Meckler runs the Convention of States organization that's trying to organize this effort under our Constitution. And Tom Coburn, you may remember, was one of the most conservative members of the United States Senate. He finally left. He had enough. And he joined the Convention of States movement. So I hope you and all the grassroots out there, people who wonder what this is all about, I hope you will listen because we will have what is one of the most thorough discussions of this. Mark, what can we do? Mark, what can we do? We know what to do. J.D. West. Well, you know what? I can't go to J.D. yet. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. of all office chairs are one size fits all and as a result your chair is not properly suited to your particular body size shape comfort level that's why you need the x chair x chair's patented dvl dynamic variable lumbar support dvl support offers unparalleled support and comfort for your lower back and i should know you will feel the difference the moment you sit down. The DVL fits your back like a glove and moves with you throughout the day. You've had to feel it. You have to feel it to believe it. Proper support and good posture mean better concentration, increased productivity, and higher quality output than you ever dreamed possible. And if you're a business owner, I strongly recommend giving X chairs to your entire staff. Just wait until you see how much your employees appreciate them and how productive they become. It's a smart investment. Over 96% of people who buy an X-chair, sight unseen, absolutely fall in love with it. In my house, 100%. Now, that's over 96%. If that doesn't tell you that there's something special about this chair, nothing does. Now, here's a special deal just for you, my listeners. Go to xchairlevin.com, xchairlevin.com. Go there now. Get $100 off. That's xchair. Levin.com or call 1 844 4X chair. 1 844 4X chair. X chair comes with a 30 day, no questions asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. So there's no risk at all. Go to XChairLevin.com. And by the way, if you go there right now, use code Levin Footrest, L E V I N Footrest, and you'll get a free footrest with your chair, which is what I use. I use the X chair all day. I use the footrest, especially when I'm on the air, and it is comfortable as can be. XChairLevin.com. Levin footrest is the code. Enjoy your chair. And you can see one of them, the one that I have on my Facebook site, Mark Levin Show Facebook. 
Let us go to Dan, Bridgewater, New Jersey, the great WABC. Go. Hey, Mark. Um, so real quick on Chris Cuomo's comments uh, where he was basically endorsing the behavior of Antifa. What he's actually doing is discarding our entire rule of law system by encouraging vigilantism. And I want to know, you know, from Chris Cuomo, is it OK for us on the right? to also be able to take action against those... We're not on the right. We're constitutional conservatives. Point taken. Thank They've you, got sir. the fascists and the Klansmen and all the rest and then the communists and the progressives. We're the moderate influence in this country. We're the ones upholding our founding documents and values. But you make an excellent point. Yes, when you listen to what Chris Cuomo said, he is condoning vigilanteism despite all the buts, B-U-T, that he has in his rather incoherent uh, quasi-philosophical ramblings. But in the end, you're correct. He is condoning vigilantism of the left. Good call, Dan. You're right on. All right. What did you say, Rich? Sherry, Dallas, Texas, the great WBAP. Go. Hello, Mark. I've been a fan of yours for 15 years as the first Thank time you. I've heard you on radio, and I follow you. I have your books. I see you every time you're on Fox, and I hope you will keep trying to do that program, although I don't want you to compromise your health. But I, I wanted to comment about the uh, distortion and the evading of the truth that CNN, MSNBC, and all of their affiliates they they do it because they they have a purpose for first of all of distorting the facts so that they're hiding the truth they take these situational events and twist them and turn them sherry gotta go two minutes but i do appreciate everything you said i really do we'll be right back From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. You know... I've made the argument and have supported a position held by Professor Stephen Calabrese that the appointment, in specific, of this special counsel, Robert Mueller's unconstitutional violation of the Appointments Clause. And there was a Supreme Court decision in 1988 which upheld the independent counsel statute with one dissenting justice, Justice Scalia, where Congress set up this statutory a position of an independent counsel. And uh, it had a lot of very odd uh, aspects to it. And the biggest problem was we have three branches of government. We also have this fourth administrative state that is not sanctioned by the Constitution, uh, but exists out of necessity. And it has been completely uh, politicized and is utterly out of control. And then we now have... We had the independent counsel statute, but that lapsed because both Democrats and Republicans determined that it was a disaster. <clears throat> and it was a, an additional branch of the federal government, if you will, 
uh, with absolutely no historical basis or foundation. And so that lapsed, but now we have what's called a regulatory special counsel with certain rules that are in place for the appointment of such a special counsel. Robert Mueller is a special counsel. Robert Mueller's appointment was in violation of the very regulation that created this. That is, as you know, if you listen to this program, any time in the last God knows what, 18 months or so since he was appointed, that it lacked any criminal statutory uh, basis for the appointment. You can't just appoint a prosecutor uh, to investigate people and to investigate things. And there was no criminal basis for any prosecutor, let alone a special prosecutor. Mr. Rosenstein appointed his friend, Mr. Muller, his first boss when he was uh, holding his first uh, permanent position at the Department of Justice. And he appointed Mr. Mueller, who was best friends with Mr. Comey. Mr. Comey brags about the fact that he, he did what he did in terms of his leak and so forth in order to uh, encourage the appointment of a special counsel. So it's all very neat, all very clever, but also all very improper. In addition, uh, Mr. Mueller's agenda, that is, his assignment is very broad and gets broader by the day. And uh, even though there is oversight of some sort in the office of the deputy attorney general as the acting attorney general, just as there is with an assistant attorney general or a U.S. attorney or so forth, the difference is an assistant attorney general and a United States attorney has to be nominated by the president and confirmed by the Senate, the appointments clause of the Constitution. It requires that when you're appointing principal people to the executive branch that the Senate has a role. The Senate has a role. And that's why a cabinet secretary, a sub-cabinet secretary, third and fourth tier cabinet secretaries all have to go through this process. Mr. Mueller did not. And what they're arguing is the case 30 years ago, Morrison v. Olson, that would be Ted Olson, independent counsel of Morrison, that the Supreme Court ruled overwhelmingly that that position is constitutional and it laid out the, the elements that needed to be met in order to have such a constitutional appointment. The problem here is there's one gaping hole. Mr. Mueller's responsibilities are akin to the United States attorney in every district in the country. Even has 17 prosecutors under him and scores of FBI agents. He's running a, if you will, a United States attorney's office, except they call him special counsel. It's It's a difference in name only. U.S. attorneys have oversight, not unlike Mr. Mueller's oversight. That is, if they're going to take on certain major political and national issues, they need approval from Maine Justice, just as Mr. Mueller does. So, in many respects, Mr. Mueller is akin to a United States attorney uh, who must be nominated by the president and confirmed by the United States Senate. But Mr. Mueller hasn't been nominated by anybody or confirmed by anybody. We now have three different district court decisions. Three, all in Washington, D.C. That take the position that Mueller's appointment is constitutional. It just shows you the extent to which law and order and the rule of law have collapsed. You saw it with the FISA court, where you have federal district judges sitting in secret, 
You don't even know which one sat when unless you can put the, the dots together. They don't even have to reveal themselves. In this secret court that was created in 1979, as I recall, so that the government could, at least theoretically in good faith, make the case in counterintelligence matters related to national security in front of a federal judge to ensure that uh, a, a, a warrant might issue uh, if there's probable cause that an individual is a foreign agent working, in essence, for a foreign government. The process is broken. That's not what happened in the election. That's not what happened. Mr. Stroke was involved. Sarah Carter has a wonderful piece from early this morning or yesterday in which she said she believes that Stroke was actually involved in the application process. I don't doubt it for a minute, given he has hand in everything. Now, what does this have to do with Mr. Mueller? So individuals withstanding in court are challenging the constitutionality of his appointment. And in three cases, they lost. That's not the final word. You can go to an appeals court and ultimately to the United States Supreme Court if they'll take it up. This is not the independent counsel statute, I would tell these justices. You have a regulatory special counsel who has enormous power. Now, how do we know he has this enormous power? You know what he's investigating now? He's investigating the aid to Roger Stone and Roger Stone. Now, Roger Stone is a moron. Roger Stone and I have clashed. Roger Stone has written defamatory things about me. But that's irrelevant. Absolutely irrelevant. I'm talking about the rule of law now. And his associate, this fellow by the name of Miller, I don't know these people. I don't know them. I've never met them. I've never talked to them. And so I'm just looking at this as, as, as an analyst, as objectively as I can, as a constitutional conservative who believes in a constitutional republic. It's really quite amazing that despite all of this, that Mueller's in the Eastern District of Virginia prosecuting Manafort on matters that apply to the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Eastern District of Virginia, that he's looking at Roger Stone and a Roger Stone associate, that he's looking at a call woman in Manhattan and perhaps uh, in relation to Roger Stone, who's a bit player if a player at all. He's all over the field, is Mueller. And yet these federal judges refuse to uphold the Constitution. They refuse to do it. But I wanted to make you aware of this. And now in the Mueller trial, as you probably heard, today the defense rested. They didn't call a single witness. They didn't call Manafort, which is a good idea, because uh, his words could be twisted by a prosecutor. But in any event, they didn't call a single witness. I hope that was the right decision. Because my eyebrows went up. And uh, my ears perked when I heard that and read that. Um, I hope that's the right decision. They must think they have a, a pretty solid case that the prosecution didn't make their case. Maybe they do. Uh, there's also going to be another trial in Washington, D.C. So Manifold will be tried there. Typically, or often I should say, cases like this are combined so there's one jurisdiction, but Mueller has as his purpose to make everything as difficult and painful for Manafort as possible. Look, innocent or guilty, he's still an American citizen. 
Let me, let me tell you the irony of this. We have people who had a compound and have one in New Mexico where a, where a three-year-old baby died, where there were weapons, uh, where the individuals involved are a grave danger to this country, where they were allegedly, I underscore that, training some children to use weapons, reportedly and potentially in schools. They are free today. I believe the bail amount was $20,000. They're free today. You're Paul Manafort, who for the last several months has served in a federal prison in solitary confinement who hasn't been convicted of anything, and the charges against him all relate to non-violent allegations with no past history of legal violations. Nobody's died. He's not threatening anybody. He's not training children to do anything. And yet he has served time in prison without being convicted of anything because the prosecution told a Obama-appointed judge, a leftist in Washington, D.C., that he was trying to talk to witnesses or trying to talk to other people and so forth and so on. Now, they didn't prove their case. These are allegations that the judge considered uh, compelling and persuasive. So I just wanted to point that out. So that's the Manafort case. Mueller's on a, you know, chasing uh, all over the world. He's been all over the world, as people have, chasing down leads, any lead they can think of, uh, that involve Russians. Russians. And let me circle back to the beginning of the program this evening. This entire Russia stuff involving the Trump campaign was a pseudo-event, a phony issue, planted by the Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC through the dossier, executed by Obama officials at the FBI and elsewhere, given voice and support by the media, the free press, the pseudo-media. And that's how we got here, and that's why the president's furious. So people who sit back on their butts with microphones in their face or cameras in their face saying, you know, the president might not want to react this way. You know, the president may not want to tweet this way. I've been involved in cases like this where people have been set up or, or, the, or the liberty and livelihood of individuals have been on the line. I was a lawyer in the Iran-Contra case defending the former Attorney General of the United States, Ed Meese, and the outrageous lies that were held in his direction by an independent counsel, for which he was always innocent and for which he was never charged. And we went through that, as did other individuals, for seven and a half to eight years. I watched as Casper Weinberger was indicted on phony charges in horror. I watched as a prosecutor went after the President of the United States, Ronald Reagan, and believed he should have been impeached. I was involved in the Star Chamber proceedings under the Independent Counsel Act, where I spent two and a half months 
Two and a half months in a vault in a room in the basement of the Department of Justice. Having to read into a microphone, because I wasn't allowed to transcribe the information, grand jury testimony that Mr. Walsh, the independent counsel, was free to put in his report that would go public, but I was not free to transcribe to share with my client. I've seen these star chamber proceedings before. And luckily, we fought like hell, and we won. But the damage was done when they put out their report and try to influence history. And try to influence history. If Lawrence Walsh and the Iran-Contra matter and his investigation, if he had had his way, Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, George Schultz, Casper Weinberger, Ed Meese, all of them, all of them would have been guilty of some nonsense. And they were guilty of nothing. Nothing. And so when I sit here with my own experience as a lawyer who's been in these battles and I watch what Robert Mueller is doing, I am disgusted. I know what he's doing. I know what his prosecutors are doing. I know what his investigators are doing. I know what these judges are doing. And it's a damn shame. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Jason Johnson, who you've never heard of and I've never heard of, is an MSNBC commentator who defends Antifa on TV. Cut 10, go. There were a lot of different activists who were like, why are you in riot gear? We don't see no riot here. There is a belief, I'm not saying it's always correct, but there is a belief by many activists, including Antifa, that the police tacitly support this kind of violence. Where does that belief come? I mean, come on, do you you think the police, the, the police there were there to protect white nationalists? Do you believe that? When you look at how the police respond to white nationalists as opposed to Black Lives Matter protesters, yes. yes, you do. When you consider the number of police departments where people have been caught with white nationalist tattoos and the emails and everything else like that, that's there. Look, I never like the idea of journalists getting attacked, but no one has a reason to believe, even when you look at how the police responded last year, when you look at the fact that they, they shut down the, the metro in D.C. that let these guys go in, people have reasons to doubt the police's yeah. dedication to eradicating racism. You, you hear this, folks? You want to know why there's violence? Because at MSNBC, they condone it. At CNN, they condone it. This is a Marxist militia group. Stephanie Rule was agreeing with him. She's the host. So obviously, the hosts, the guests, the corporate position of MSNBC, NBC, Comcast, is violence is okay. CNN, same thing. You heard Chris Cuomo. Try as he might. They defend Antifa. They trash the cops. Now, let me tell you something. One of the reasons they are continually trying to paint Trump now as a racist. Do you know why, Mr. Producer? Because these poll numbers in the African-American community are on the rise. Particularly among black males. 29% approval. No president has had that in modern times. No Republican president. Donald Trump is trying to break the back 
of the Democrat coalition. You may agree with some of it or disagree with some of it. Unions, and yes, minorities, particularly African Americans. And in the case of minorities, he's doing it through economic decisions, growing the economy, growing the economy. He's also embraced this notion of criminal justice reform. Argue as you will. I'm just saying this is what he's doing. And he's doing things. And the Democrats can't put up with it. And the leftist uh, pseudo-intellectuals can't put up with it, particularly if they're black. That is attracting the support of a growing number of African Americans, particularly males. And so they have to constantly paint him and his supporters as racists. This is part of what's going on here. I'll be right back. The cost of freedom is high, but this phone call is not. Call Mark Levin toll-free at 877-381-3811. I was sent a note from our friends at Filterby from a customer. It went like this. I've been in the middle of a home renovation, and there is drywall dust everywhere. Plus, the contractors are leaving the doors open, and it's been over 100 degrees many days this summer. Last weekend, my AC unit stopped working on the second floor. Turns out that the filters were about 98% clogged with drywall dust, and it was choking the system. Well, buying filters was always a pain because my system needed custom sizes. But with filter buy... They were able to get me exactly what I needed, fast and at a great price. Thank you for advertising with Mark Levin, and I second that. Because of stories like this, folks, FilterBuy is America's leading provider of HVAC filters for homes and small businesses. Choose from over 600 sizes that ship for free within 24 hours. Plus, they're manufactured in America. And save 5% when you subscribe for auto replacement, so you receive them on a schedule like we do in the Levin household. Then you don't even have to think about it again. Save time. Save money. Breathe better. With FilterBuy.com. That's FilterBuy.com. FilterBuy.com. Now's the time to jump in and tell them Mark sent you. Now, there's a Rashida Tlaib. T-L-A-I-B. She's a Democrat. She's running unopposed. Where is this, Michigan, Mr. Producer, Michigan's 13th Congressional District? There's this other growing movement within the Democrat Party. It has its roots in anti-Semitism, and it has its focus on Israel. You can also see it growing within the media in this country, when Hamas and other terrorists attack Israel and provoke a military response or a police response. You see how the American media as well as European media report. This one tiny country does not have the right to survive. This one tiny country doesn't have the right to defend itself. Any other country on the face of the earth that had a small territory where tens of thousands of rockets were poised to launch against their citizens in their major cities would go on the offense and obliterate such an enemy. But Israel can't even defend itself when it's first attacked. And the relationship, of course, between Israel and the United States is unlike any relationship we have with any country. And same with them. 
And the same with them. And yet Rashida Talayev, T-L-A-I-B, she doesn't support it. Just like Ocasio-Cortez doesn't support it. Just like Bernie Sanders doesn't support it. There is this growing divide within the Democrat Party. And notice they do not discuss it on CNN or MSNBC or really anywhere. Because more and more of the media agree. Progressives are progressives, whether they're dressed up as politicians, professors, media types, or actors. And here she was interviewed by, uh, let's see, Great Britain's Channel 4 News today by Guru Murthy. Go ahead. And so when you get into Congress, will you vote against U.S. military aid for Israel? Absolutely. If it has something to do with inequality and not access to people having justice and to to stop. For me, U.S. aid should be leveraged. It should be leveraged to promote that value. If you're going to be a country that discriminates against someone solely based on their faith, solely based on their skin color in many ways, because there are Israelis now in, uh, that because they're darker skin, they're not being treated equally. Oh, 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 what a moron. Israel went into Ethiopia to help the Jewish Ethiopians who are black who are Africans, to get to Israel because of the discrimination and violence against them. This woman is just so filled with venom and hate. But anyway, go ahead. That doesn't fit our value of our country. So I will be using my position as a member of Congress to say no country, not one, should be able to get aid from us, the American people, who talk about justice and equality and stopping discrimination to say a country can come and get aid from us when they still promote that kind of um, uh, injustice that I saw in Detroit. or in Detroit? Detroit? By the way, she's running unopposed, so she will be a member of Congress. So she saw this kind of thing in Detroit. Has she ever been over there? Does she know what it's like on the border with the Gaza Strip? And she will be a member of Congress, thanks to the Democrat Party. And these are the kind of mindsets uh, that are being sent to Congress and elsewhere. So you can watch. This is growing within the Democrat Party. And I sit here and I watch left-wing Jewish people, as you know I'm Jewish, continue to support this. This, the party of Keith Ellison. The party of Rashida Talayib. It's incredible to me. Self-destructive, if you will. Anyway, I wanted to mention that. And finally, I probably should have mentioned this earlier, even though it's part of the pseudo-events that are taking place out there, to at least try and counter it somewhat. Aswayan Souza Eng. I apologize. You know, as I get older, it's getting more and more difficult to pronounce the names of people coming into this country. It's not, it's not intentional. It's just that I don't know how to pronounce them. Some names have more consonants and very few vowels. Some names have a whole bunch of vowels and very few consonants. So I I do my best. 
to do it phonetically. Anyway, this is a reporter with the Daily Beast being interviewed by Bill Press, who is apparently a radio host with uh, no audience. Cut to go. I actually, uh, back during the campaign and up uh, through the presidential transition in uh, late 2016, I actually looked into this because it's been a longstanding rumor since yeah. the days of the campaign yeah. that there is a Donald Trump N-word tape dating back to his days at The Apprentice. Okay. Um, I talked to uh, dozens upon dozens of people at The Apprentice for a series of stories or who used to work at The Apprentice. Right. Some still do, some don't anymore. Uh, to sort of get Donald Trump-related stories as the campaign was wrapping up. Uh, we published a lot of them, some of which looked, made Donald Trump look pretty nasty. I couldn't find a single person who knew what the hell people were talking about when it came to this, to this mythical, mythical N-word tape. And so far, that's still the case based on my reporting and the reporting of other people, including Yashar Ali, the Huffington Post, who popped a story, I think, about nine or ten hours ago, where the person who Omarosa had claimed to people, had come to the White House and played her a tape of Donald Trump saying uh, that racial right. epithet, sort of laughed on the phone. It's like, no, what, what is Omarosa talking about? And it doesn't matter, though, does it? So here you have a, a, a leftist, I believe, with a leftist outlet for the most part, the Daily Beast, not exclusively, also talking about the Huffington Post, which is leftist, being honest and saying, yeah, hey, we... Uh, no, there is no N-word tape, and yet she's all over TV pushing it. All over TV pushing it, and they want her to push it, and they want it repeated, even as they roll their eyes. Because, as I said, they see that Donald Trump's popularity in the African-American community, particularly among males, is rising. It's up to 29%, and the left cannot afford to lose even a modest percentage of support in the black community, which they expect to march in lockstep to the voting booth and to all think alike. It's just incredible, isn't it? Kevin, Acton, California, Sirius Satellite, go. Okay, Mark, I'm the, just remember, I'm the second smartest guy on this phone call. Listen, oh, yeah, I, right. think what, I think what's happening here is that it's a push by the government, by the, by, by, by the media, to take um, a classification of a person, like a white male, and cause them to be a member of a group. Like, I'm a black man, so now if I'm a black man, I'm now a member of a group called the Black Men of America, and then I need a leader. If I'm a Christian, which I am, I'm a white male Christian, therefore I need a Christian leader which I personally don't need a Christian leader to guide my life. But, see, these organizations can only move you by groups. They can't move you individually. They can move you and herd you like cattle if you belong to a group. A black man, the black guys that I know, got lots of black friends, they don't consider themselves part of a group called Black America. See, they want to move you from a classification, you are a black man, but now take a membership of this group, the Black Men of America group. Now we can herd you like cattle. You lose your identity. You have no strength. You'll never succeed in America as a group. You succeed in America as an individual. Now, this is very, very important, and I've written about this extensively, including in Liberty and Tyranny in my latest book, Rediscovering Americanism. You're exactly right. The individual loses his or her identity. 
as an individual human being with unalienable rights. The individual is considered part of a mass. They call us the masses. Except when they want to use us politically and culturally, then they give us a group identification and tell us how we're supposed to think, how we're supposed to respond, this community that, that community this, and some left-wing professor or rather ignorant reporter or doofus host tells us that this community is this and you're not fitting in with this community. No, you're exactly right, and we see it play out every day. Thank you for your excellent call, my friend. We'll be right back. in. You know, I enjoy helping my listeners like Nathaniel, who owed the IRS tens of thousands in back taxes. Now, he told the IRS he didn't have the money to pay, but it didn't matter. He put a lien on his home anyway. Nathaniel heard how much I respect Optima Tax Relief, so he engaged them. And Optima got the IRS to designate Nathaniel's case a CNC status, currently not collectible. That's a big win. Because it basically says, no use pursuing our client, there's nothing to be gained there. Optima kept fighting on Nathaniel's behalf, and so the IRS agreed to a deal that saved him thousands and resolved his tax debt for good. So he and his family weren't crushed. Optima knows that behind every tax problem are honest, hardworking Americans with families, homes, savings, and paychecks that need protection. They've resolved over half a billion dollars in tax debt for their clients. Now, if you owe back taxes to the IRS, call my friends at Optima Tax Relief. They are the best. They are the best. Why are you stressing out? Get the best help you possibly can. Here's the number. 800-499-6300. 800-499-6300. That's 800-499-6300. Even if you have a question, should I or shouldn't I, call them. Call them. All right, let us go to Brian, Baltimore, Maryland, the great WCBM. Go. Hey, Mark, how are you tonight? Okay, thank you. Prior to my life in the fire department, I had a communications degree in video production, so I worked in media. And uh, what people, you had a call earlier who said that the media is going down and they're going to live in their own filth and nobody listens to them. It's actually not true. And what we're seeing here is an actual I mean, this page could be torn out of the Nazi propaganda book. Joseph Goebbels said, if you repeat... All right, all right, all right. Let, let's, let's not go to the Nazis. Everybody goes to the Nazis. You're saying they're propagandists. Go ahead. If you repeat a lie often enough, people are going to believe it. And that's the problem that we have, is that us constitutional conservatives, like you said, many people say, we need to this, we need to that. Well... We actually need to knock on doors. We need to talk to our friends. That's what I do. I constantly engage people everywhere I go. And if you don't refute this stuff, you just think it's going to happen on its own. It's not. And you're going to- that, that is very well put, what you just said there. And I, I keep saying, you look at this 12th district of Ohio, people say, well, it's a real win for us. It's a real-. When 87% of the Democrats turn out in a Republican district and 40% of the Republicans turn out, that is a disgrace. A disgrace. Like Ben Franklin said, what have you given us, sir, when the woman asked him outside the Constitutional Convention? A republic, man, if you can keep it. Right. All right, sir. I appreciate it very much. Let's go to Barry, Knoxville, Tennessee. XM Satellite. Go. 
Hey, how are you doing, Mark? Uh, thank okay. you for taking the call. Uh, you're a real blessing, and it's an honor to talk to you. Um, a couple things, I, I, almost back to what the caller was talking about a moment ago. Mine's a little different, though. Um, I, I tend to, to take your your side on the on the we're really not winning like we think we're winning, and we're burying our heads in the sand if we, if we think we are. Um, I got a pretty unique perspective. Uh, we moved to Knoxville a couple months ago from New York State, and I have a pr- pretty big family. So I've been able to watch uh, public education through all of my children kind of simultaneously at these different grade levels. And these teachers that are getting pumped out of the universities are getting worse and worse and worse. And it's just, it's impossible to reason with them. And uh, it's just a sad thing to see. And I think unless we can get education back and have some type of strong strategy to get the truth, you know, uh, to the teachers that are teaching the kids instead of the, you know, the New York State Teachers Union shoving the periodicals down to them every month. Um, we're never going to get them. I mean, it, it, it still still exists here in Knoxville, not as bad, but um, but nonetheless, I mean, it's it's just still so troubling. Uh, no, I, I I know you're right, and the NEA has even said they're going to become even increasingly political. And I would encourage people to check out the National Education Association. Go on Google, see their politics see where they stand on the issues, and then realize that almost every teacher, public school teacher in the country, has to belong to that union or the uh, American Federation of Teachers, which is equally radical at these days, uh, in order to have, a, have the ability to teach in these government schools. They've got what is a, essentially a closed shop, uh, and, uh, and it's pretty brutal. Now, there are obviously exceptions. We talk about the fact that there are exceptions, but... There's the rule. And when you're teaching young kids, you know, the the purpose of government schools should be to teach children why your country is magnificent. It's to reinforce republicanism, to reinforce Americanism and constitutionalism. But that's not what's happening. The opposite is happening, and that's always been the progressive ideal. I'll tell you what, I'm going to send you a copy of Rediscovering Americanism and the Tyranny of Progressivism. I talk at great length about education and John Dewey, and uh, and what they did and intended to do to our educational system. He he was uh, the uh, the the most significant intellectual. That's what they called them, intellectual advocate at the time, and enormously influential on changing our uh, government educational system from you know basically reading, writing, literature, which he said in a vacuum is 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 really meaningless, to uh, teaching. Uh, social values and behavioral norms and uh, in other words indoctrination and he spells it out and it's right there so don't hang up Barry we'll send you a copy of that and uh, hope you like it quickly David Racine Wisconsin listening on the great WLS go hello Mark uh, the idea of uh, using fake news as a way of fighting uh, leftist violence since uh, propaganda as a, uh, a weapon as much as a gun or a knife uh, the way of uh, solving a problem is identifying it, and fake news is a way of identifying that problem of uh, that weapon of uh, the left. All right, my friend. Well, the president's doing a hell of a job of it, and they don't much like it, do they? No, they don't. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Please check out Levin TV tonight. It's very, very good. If you're not a subscriber, we'd love to have you. One eight four four Levin TV. I'll see you tomorrow. God bless and be safe.